Uh, I've spent 18 years struggling through preaching for people to understand my Northern Irish accent, so it's nice to be home with you. We deeply love uh, you guys. Uh, we love your pastor and his family and all your leaders. We pray regularly for you. This morning in my church and on the World Cornerstone Church, they have received a video from Andrew uh, sharing some updates and prayer items for us. So our congregation are praying for you this morning across the water. I know a big scary water in England, uh, but there are believers there, praise God, and they are praying for you. And this is why I love being part of Acts 29 a network that seeks to see churches planted globally. Uh, and so this type of partnership gets to exist and function. I'm really grateful to be part of it and to hear your story. Story of salvation, story of growth, a uh, story of reaching South Belfast. Uh, so be assured of our prayers for you uh, as you continue on in that mission. Uh, this year, our church, well, next month, actually, our church celebrates 10 years old uh, as a church. So it's great to see so many things in common. Uh, the front row gets filled last. Uh, it's great to hear so many things in common, like announcements are made months, for months and months and months, and nobody signs up to the last minute. I feel right at home, uh, and so I hope you feel right at home today as we turn to God's Word. If you're not a believer, and it's your first time, God's Word, we know that it might feel strange and unusual to you, but we are convinced, as was shared, that this is the truth. This is God's Word. It is trustworthy and true. It is reliable, and it is good to hear it, but more so to believe it. And so we pray that as we work through this passage, not only those who are members here would be encouraged and built up, but even you would come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord likewise. So please keep our passage open in front of you today. As you've been making your way through Luke's gospel, uh, I'm sure you've been thrilled to see Jesus revealed, who he is and why he came to earth. And in this passage today, we get a glimpse of his authority and his power over demons. Response of the crowds to Jesus. I don't know about you, but when you're in and through the week, in the workplace, in the home, with friends, with neighbors, colleagues, and you share the gospel with them, I wonder what the typical response is you get. What response do you get as you share the gospel with people, as you share your own story, even as you perhaps share your story of how Jesus has changed and transformed your life? How do people respond? I've had some instances of that the last few weeks as I was engaging with friends or people I see frequently. And it never ceases to surprise me how indifferent people are to it. I think the normative response of our day towards Christianity and the gospel is really one of indifference. It's this belief that tolerance is the highest good. So when we share things, it's not that we share those things that we have to believe in them, but I simply I tolerate your beliefs and allow you to live in those beliefs as long as you tolerate mine and allow me to live in mine. This leads to are unchanged by the truth. We share the gospel not merely to share our beliefs so that they would know what we believe, but we share the gospel so that people would hear and believe in Jesus as Lord. Well, here today in this passage, we have that very thing. Christ is revealed through this miracle in verse 14, and we see the crowd's response. A response perhaps much like you experience day to day, just much like what I experience. In verse 14, we see the miracle for us revealed. It, it, here we have recounted for us by Luke uh, that the miracle that Jesus performs is possessed, had caused him to be mute. 
He was a man of few words, much like many men I know, men of few words. But this wasn't a man of a few words, he was a man of no words. He was one who had been mute, unable to speak, to articulate. And yet he comes into contact with Jesus, and Jesus cast this demon out, and the man spoke. Imagine the scene, many of perhaps of his family and friends would have known him before he was possessed with the demon perhaps, and now they've seen him through the journey of being mute, and now have seen him transformed and able to speak. But of course the people marveled. Of course the people marveled in this. You can imagine the buzz of the crowds. Wow, this is incredible. Amazing undeniable. It's alarming, perhaps, for some. Here's the crowd amazed, marveling at what Jesus has done, marveling at this man who wasn't able to speak, who's now able to speak. And of course, you would expect a crowd to bow down and worship Jesus. You would expect a crowd to respond by going, wow, this Jesus is really who he says he is. Look at his power and authority even over the evil. But the brevity of the account of the miracle in contrast to the length of the passage we're looking at today shows you that this account is not about the miracle that Jesus performs, but the response, it is not what you expect. Perhaps this is your experience as well. As you share the gospel, as you share how Jesus has transformed your life, as you share about Jesus and his power and authority over sickness, over evil, over nature, over death itself, and you share that in the hope that people will respond and follow Jesus, we're met not with those who would follow Jesus, but those who seek to deny Jesus. So verse 14 before us is simply the recounting of the miracle, and verses 15 onwards to 28 are about the response of the crowds. We see firstly the crowd's response in verses 15 and 16, that there were some within the crowd who had or attribute the, the power that he has to forces and power of Satan himself. This group in the corresponding account in Matthew 12 is actually the Pharisees. They were the religious scholars of the day. They were those who were supposed to take the Word of God to understand the Word of God and then explain it to the people so they would know who God is and that they would follow God and God's ways and God's design. Here are these religious leaders at the time entrusted with that responsibility, now denying who Jesus is and ensuring that nobody in the crowd will seek to follow Jesus as Lord. Isn't it to consider that the religious leaders at the time, as they see Jesus profess who he is and reveal who he is in these miracles, would now be working against Jesus to deny and hide who he is. It doesn't seem to make sense. These are the ones who are helped reveal and point to Jesus and help people understand him, yet here they are denying who he is. It doesn't make sense. To the average onlooker from the village, he's clearly who he is. Look what he's just done. We've been following him. We've been listening to him. We've seen what he's done. Of course he must be the Messiah. But here in the midst of the noise of the crowds, they hear this religious... He's using some sort of black magic. And yet what's revealed to us, as you've seen the whole way through Luke's gospel, is that the Pharisees, as they continue to deny Jesus and who he is, simply reveal that their eyes are closed, that they cannot see who he is because of their unbelief. 
They couldn't deny what had happened, of course, but they wanted to ensure that nobody in the crowd would believe in Jesus as Lord. Is that your response today? It's sad, isn't it, that when there's so many religious folk in your city, as in mine, and deny and hide who Jesus really is rather than help reveal who he is. It's a weary task, isn't it? And yet they're not the only people in the crowd who deny Jesus and reveal their unbelief from them. Verse 16, there were others who sought to test him and kept seeking a sign from heaven. Here are these skeptic sign hunters. You'll definitely have this type of person in your vicinity of influence, I'm sure. Friends, family, colleagues. These are people who simply saying, we need more signs. You need to prove, Jesus needs to prove himself time and time again. If only Jesus does this, then I'll believe. If he only then I will believe in him. If Jesus would only do what I tell him to do and reveal himself in the way that I tell him to reveal himself, if only he would meet my criteria and qualify himself based on my qualifications that I set, then I'll believe in him. Yeah, that's a weary person to listen to and talk to you, isn't it? How many more signs do you want? Well, Jesus actually responds to this crowd in verse 29. We didn't read it, but his response to those who are asking for signs, he describes them in verse 29 as an evil generation that, that seeks a sign, but no sign will be given except a sign of Jonah. Whoever you got preaching next week will deal with that part of the crowd. Our emphasis today is on the religious response to Jesus in the crowd. But briefly, simply put, those who are seeking signs, the skeptic sign hunter, weren't concerned with the man behind the miracle, but were simply concerned with the miracles. They were simply those who would follow the crowd because they had FOMO. They, they feared missing out rather than following the one who made the signs. It is an inappropriate response to signs is to ask for more signs. The right response to signs is to believe in the one who has performed them. The right response is faith in the one who has performed the sign rather than skepticism. And here these skeptics in the crowd are living in a sea of contradiction, denying Jesus its unbelief. We see these two parts of the crowd may be very different. You may have those of the religious upbringing and you may have the more modern person who's a skeptic looking for more signs, but they're very much joined by the same thing, their unbelief. It doesn't matter how they manifest their unbelief, whether in religion or in signs, they are joined by the only thing that matters, which is their unbelief. And perhaps today, unbelief in our culture is seen as tolerance, as acceptance. It's actually the, the virtue of the day, tolerance. But no matter how the world tries to disguise it, no matter how culture tries to define tolerance, the problem behind it is that it is still unbelief. And before holy God, our tolerance and acceptance of all faiths will not be the thing that gets us into the kingdom of God. It is decision that Jesus is not Lord, or whether it be the skeptics who are hiding behind a smokescreen of indecision, both are dead in their sins and trespasses before a holy God. That's the reality. The religious in the story for us before us are those who are trying to enslave the crowds, to keep them in control, to keep them under their laws, 
And the skeptics are trying to find a way in which they can continue to look pious by not making a decision. But their indecision is a decision because it is unbelief. What about you today? Perhaps some of us grew up in a religious environment, familiar with Jesus, familiar even with the stories in the Gospels that we're reading. Have you got trust in Jesus himself? You believe in him by faith? Perhaps some of us grew up in a more skeptic context, and you're still skeptic, still not sure. You're still waiting for Jesus to reveal himself. Neither of these things are reasons to deny Jesus. Neither of these remain dead in your sins and trespasses. Rather, today, believe in him in faith. He's revealed himself in his perfect character. He's revealed himself in his power. And we've seen it most importantly, not in the sign of making a mute man be able to speak, but ultimately in the sign of dying and rising again. What more signs do we need? The ultimate sign of one who overcomes death and rises again three days later, victoriously seen by hundreds of witnesses over the course of 40 days, ascended and now ruling and reigning, promises to return. What other sign do we need? Yet there are still those who don't believe. Don't hide behind the veil of the smokescreen of indecision. Turn If he answers my request tomorrow, then I'll believe. We have no guarantee for tomorrow. Believe today. There was once a tomb that was filled with a man, but three days later, rose again victorious. If he can rise again from the dead, we can trust him of our tomorrow, which means that you can trust him of your today. So fall on him in faith and belief. Don't deny. Don't be like the crowds enslaved to religion. Don't be like the crowds of tolerance who are making an indecision. Rather, believe in him by faith. Don't turn away from him while today is available to you. Don't turn away. For there is no one else who can bear the weight of our sins. Only him. That drowns us in the sea of worry and anxiety. Only he can do it. Don't leave it till it's too late. Don't be like these crowds under their indecision about who Jesus is and who he says he is. Rather, Turn to him and believe in faith. Well, we've seen a miracle that left the crowd transformed. I'm sorry. We, we saw the response of the crowds in their indecision, but what about Jesus? Well, the majority of our passage today is about Jesus' response to the crowds of indecision. We see in verses 17 to 19 that he defends his power. He reveals that the, the logic of what the Pharisees are saying is illogical. He exposes the folly of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are saying, Jesus is casting out demons by the power of Satan. And Jesus' response to that is to show the folly of the religious elite trying to explain away his power with simple logic. Jesus simply says that any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. He's saying if Satan is casting out demons through Jesus on behalf of Satan, 
It's simply a kingdom that's divided against itself. It doesn't make sense that, G- that Satan would both possess somebody and then liberate somebody. It makes no sense. It's like pulling the rug out from under your feet. It's like a civil war in a country will always leave the country worse off. Why would Satan do this? These attacks on Jesus are inconsistent and illogical. So Jesus flips it on his head, verse 19. He turns to the Pharisees and simply say, you who have performed exorcisms on yourselves, upon whose power do you say that you do this by? You who have done this as well, are you saying that you've done it by the power of Satan? Jesus then gives the crowd a chance to respond, verse 19. illogic. Are you going to follow them? For to follow them, they will be your judges. He defends who he is by showing the illogic of their thinking. And then in verses 20, 23, he defines his power. He's defended it and now he defines it for us. Verse 20, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is who Jesus has said he has always come to be. Remember way back in chapter four, when Jesus was in the synagogue and in there he was able to take the scripture that this is why he came, that he is the Messiah. I'll take you way back there. Chapter four, verse 18, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what Jesus is saying. If I do it by the kingdom of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. If I've revealed to you this power, this is who I am. Then surely I am sent of God. Surely I am God himself. But the problem is for the religious, the skeptics, they didn't want a Messiah. They wanted the benefits of the kingdom Yes, we want these people set free. Yes, we want them restored to our society. Yes, we want life the way we want it. But we want that kingdom without the king. And Jesus said, no, no, you can't have the kingdom without the king. You have to have the king. This is who I am. The kingdom is only like this because I am the king. If you take me out of the picture, you will not get the kingdom that you say you want. This was the problem for religious and the skeptic. They wanted a different manger, not one that was in Bethlehem but one that was in a palace. They wanted somebody more of status and wealth and affluence than Joseph. They wanted somebody more renowned than a virgin Mary to give birth to the child. They wanted somebody who came from the palaces and the cities rather than Nazareth. You see, this Christ didn't fit the bill. This Christ didn't fit what they wanted. So therefore, they didn't accept him. They refused to believe, apart from the one that they could stamp their approval on. So therefore, they refuse Christ. Not our experience today. Not our experience today. Of our culture today, so therefore, we will not believe. Surely we would never have a Messiah who would be so archaic when it comes to the role of men and women. Surely we wouldn't have a Messiah that is so archaic when it comes to sexuality. Surely we wouldn't have a Messiah who's so archaic when it comes to truth. Or surely we wouldn't have a Messiah who is so narrow-minded 
and all that he says, surely that isn't the king that we want. And there it is, proves the point. Humanity hasn't progressed in 2,000 years since Jesus came. The heart is very much the same. It is all reality off on belief. Yes, it may manifest itself in different ways and different arguments, but it is all tied under the same thing. Whether you have a religious upbringing or a skeptic upbringing, the problem that lies at the heart of all of humanity is its unbelief in the Messiah. It is its lack of submission and its unwillingness to submit under the Messiah, the King of the kingdom. Yes, we have a world that now wants the benefits of the kingdom without the King, but you cannot have that. So there you have your own choice. Go follow the religious of the world. Let's say they come to liberate with their laws, but the religious only enslave. Jesus liberates. He liberates the oppressed. I know you know this more than most countries in the world, but religion enslaves. If you're new here today, I want you to know that this church is not about religion. It's about Jesus and Jesus setting captives free. That is what the gospel is. If you've come here this morning thinking that your journey to church and your attendance at church and your performance at church is what gets you in the good books of Jesus, then I'm really happy to change that opinion of you this morning. That's not true. That is not the gospel. I know my own upbringing. I believe that. Well, surely I've done enough. My dad's the pastor of the church. I go to rejecting Jesus because our, our church only has one service on a Sunday. Who are they? Are you even a real Christian? Folks, we believe so easily that our religious performance attains our merit before a holy God. It's wrong. That is not the gospel. The gospel doesn't enslave us into law and performance before a holy God. The gospel liberates us to know joy and delight that our sins are forgiven. Who, what God liberates us to be able to confess our sins together and then to know assurance and forgiveness of sins for all eternity. That's the gospel, folks. It's not